0: Recently, my wife and I, uh, we, we got in the housing market game. We, we weren't going we to buy a house in this crazy housing market, but we ended up finding one that was like perfect for us. It's what we've been looking for for a long time. Uh, and the thing about this house is it's kind of an older house. It was built in the 70s. Uh, and, and so it's one of those, what you call a fixer upper. <laughs> so we got a lot of work to do, uh, but the structure is good. The bones are good, uh, but the wallpaper looks like 1970. So we got some, we got some things to do. Uh, but what's fun about a housing remodel is that you can look at how the house once was, then you can see how it is now, and you can see what it's becoming. Like we have a vision, we have a goal in mind. We see the house as it is, and we know what it can be and what it will become. And that's really what Ephesians chapter two is all about. We're in this six week series on Ephesians. And you know, today I wanna walk you through these three thoughts. And Paul walks us through these three thoughts in Ephesians chapter two. Number one, this is what you were. Number two, this is what you are. And number three, this is what you are becoming. So let's dig in. I'm gonna go ahead and read probably the first 10 verses and then we'll dig in. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But verse four, there's a turnaround. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespassed, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may... Boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, Paul here, he tells you, here's how you once were, here's what you are now, and here is what God is doing and building you into. So, I want to talk to you today. Number one, here's what you once were. It's good to remember what life was like before Christ. It's good to remember everything that God has brought you out of. God said, once you were dead, you were dead. To, dead. to be dead means to be spiritually cut off from the source of life. When Adam sinned, God told him, surely you will die. But he did not physically die at first. Eventually sin would result in physical death. But long before that, it was a spiritual death. You see, Adam was cut off from the life source of God's spirit. So Adam was walking and breathing oxygen, but he was dead. You know, the idea of zombies is not new. The walking dead is not new. It goes all the way back to Adam in the garden. It goes back to Paul here in Ephesians. He's saying, you guys, you were alive, but you weren't really living. I mean, do you remember what that was like before Christ? No purpose, no joy, no peace, no hope no true life, you were once dead. And not only were you dead, but you were disobedient. You were disobedient. Paul says, you were slaves to the devil. (laughs) When we sin, we're failing to be what God created us to be. And I mean, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever done something and then you realize, man, that's not who I am. Like, that's not the person I wanna be. And you just feel like a failure, that's a sin. But Paul Paul said, you're dead and disobedient and trespass. What's a a trespass? A trespass is when you do something wrong and you know it's wrong and you just go ahead and do it anyways. I don't know about you, but I've done this a few times in my life. I knew what I was doing in that moment was 100% wrong, but I went ahead and I did it anyways. What is that? That's disobedience. That's rebellion towards God. God, I know what your word says, but I'm gonna do it anyways. And the devil will convince us that that's freedom. But, but it's not freedom, it leads to destruction. You know, what comes to mind is the 1960s and the, the sexual revolution that happened in the 1960s. You know, it was, a, it was a time where people were casting off restraint. They were casting off, you know, the idea between sex, between a man and a woman that are married. And it was just, hey, whatever you feel, just do it. Well, you know, it's been several decades since the 60s. And let's look around and wonder if that idea, if that disobedience, if it's really working for us. Has it really worked? I don't think it has. I mean, look at the thousands of broken homes in our nation because people decided that the best thing was for them to just do whatever they wanted, whatever they felt. And see, when you live however you want, however you feel, you're not just only dead, you're not only disobedient, but you actually have a depraved mind. Paul says, you are slaves to your impulses. I like this quote from Philip Manginelli. He says, everyone living in freedom of excess are slaves and they can't see it. You don't experience true life by doing whatever you want. Victory is found in, victory isn't found in unrestrained freedom, but in the authority to say No. James K.A. Smith says, it is a terrible and terrifying thing to know what you want to be and then realize you're the only one standing in your own way. To want with every fiber of your soul to be something different, to escape the you you've made of yourself only to fall back to the self you hate over and over again. See, we, we've been enslaved. Sin is not just freedom to do it whatever you want. Sin leads to a slave, a depraved mind. You just live by your impulses. And so not only were you dead, not only were you in disobedience, not only were you depraved, but you were also doomed. Paul said you were sons of wrath. Now the wrath of God is not something we talk about often. And I want you to notice that we're talking about the wrath of God in one verse. And then the very next verse, it talks about how great God's love is. Now in our Western mind, we can't comprehend that. In the Western mindset, people don't wanna talk about the wrath of God anymore. They can't coincide a wrathful God with a loving God, but Paul has no problem with it. He actually talks about the two things back to back, God's wrath and then God's love. Listen to what he says in Romans 1, 18 through 25 about the wrath of God. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. By their own unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile In their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Listen, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served a creature, rather than the creator, the wrath of God against unrighteousness. It's real. And let me tell you one of the scariest places to be in. It's when God says, okay, you don't want me. You don't want to serve me. You don't want to honor me. You stiff arm God long enough and he will let you have your way. A lot of people, they want to talk about how could a loving God send people to hell? But the truth is hell is, the, is really the consequence of a person's refusal to receive the saving grace of God. God wants all to be saved. God's made a way for you to be saved. But if you resist God long enough, he will let you have your way. C.S. Lewis said something like this. In the end, there's only two kinds of people. One who will say to God, thy will be done. And the other type, to whom God will say, okay, your will be done. You see, we have a choice today. We can live by our will or God's will, but living by our will leads to wrath. We need help. We need hope. And Jesus came and brought hope for us. See the Heidelberg Confession, it says this, God wills that his righteousness be satisfied. Therefore, payment in full must be made to his righteousness either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves? By no means. On the contrary, we increase our debt each day. No one but God could pay a debt of such magnitude, but no, no one but man is obliged to pay it. So it follows that our salvation requires that God become a man. And this is what Jesus does by his great grace, hallelujah. He takes us from what we once were and he changes us and makes us what we are today. And it's not just a substitutionary death. It's not just, oh, Jesus died for me. It's actually, I am crucified with Christ. Yes, Jesus did die a substitutionary death for us, but it's also a participatory death. We're not just supposed to look at Jesus on the cross. We're supposed to get up and put our lives on that cross with Jesus, so that everything that happened to Jesus will happen to us. Namely, Jesus is alive, he is risen, and he's seated on high. This is what we were. We were dead, we were disobedient, we were depraved, we were doomed. But now, Paul says, you're alive, you're saved, you're raised, and you're seated with Christ. This is who you are now. <laughs> you're alive. The greatest secret is not trying to change yourself, but getting a new identity from Christ. We, we don't need a resuscitation. We need a resurrection. And we are alive with Christ. And he saved us. Come on, I'm, I, am, I am saved, man. I am saved from my sin. I'm saved from the wrath of God. I'm, I'm saved from my enemies. I'm saved from the things that held me bound. And I'm not only saved, I'm, I'm raised up with him. I'm not in low places. I'm not defeated. I'm not just a prisoner to my impulses, but the spirit of God is working in me, producing fruit like love and gentleness and self-control. And I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I love this. I love this promise today. You know, Smith, Smith Wigglesworth, he made a statement one time. He said this, I always start my prayer from heaven, not earth. Think about that. I always start my prayer from heaven, not earth. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm already seated in heavenly places with Christ. And what does it mean to be seated in heavenly places? It means we have authority. We have authority from, because we're seated with Christ in heaven. Man, if there's one thing about the presence of Jesus, if there's one thing about him, it is his authority. Everything is put under his feet. Therefore, everything will be put under your feet. We have victory today. So that is, this is who we were. This is who we are. Who are you becoming? In 2.10, Paul tells us, we're the workmanship of Christ. We're created for good works prepared before him. Now, Notice the tension in these verses. I'm not saved by my works, but I am created for good works. God is making something out of my life. He's taking the past and changed it to what I am now, but man, he's got a future for me. He's got a hope for me. He is, he is, he is making a masterpiece out of our lives. He's the great craftsman, the great artist who's painting a beautiful picture. He's the great writer who's writing a beautiful poem with our lives. He takes us from what we were. He saves us, changes us, and he has something for us. Now that's all very personal and that's great. I'm glad for a personal relationship with Christ. But our relationship with Christ is not just personal or it's not private. It's actually what God is doing in us as a community. And so these next few verses talk about what Christ, what we were before Christ as a community, what we are in Christ now as a community, and what God is turning us into. Let's start in verse 11. It says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So who were we before Christ? And remember Paul specifically, the Ephesians were Gentiles. And I would venture to say that most of us watching today most of us at church we are not jews we are gentiles we are the as paul says the uncircumcised and you know sometimes i think we forget that we were outsiders you know when we read the old testament sometimes we actually read it as if we are god's chosen people that we're the jews or that you know we're we're the jew in the story or we're david in the story but really if you're a gentile You are not the Jew in the story. You are not David. You are the Philistine. You are the Canaanite. You are uh, Goliath. You're the enemy of God. But God takes an outsider. He takes the uncircumcised. He takes the ones who are not the quote unquote chosen ones, and he brings them into his fold. It's so important you remember that you were once an enemy of God, but now you're his friend. You were once hostile in your thinking towards him, but Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner. And this is what Jesus does. Who were we? We were outsiders. We were outsiders. And Jesus was always taking outsiders and making them insiders. Jesus was always throwing parties for the wrong people. He was inviting the notorious outsiders of his day. He was throwing parties for tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and blind people, people who had been pushed to the margins of society. The outsiders are the one Jesus was continuously bringing in to him. More uh, Herbert McCabe, looking at the genealogy of Jesus and the people in his family tree said this, the moral is too obvious to labor. Jesus did not belong to the nice, clean middle class of respectability. He belonged to a family of murderers, cheats, cowards, adulterers, and liars. He belonged to us and he came to help us. No wonder he came to a bad end and gave us some hope. So what am I saying to us today as a church? You need to remember, I need to remember that we were once outsiders and just how Jesus went after outsiders, we need to go after outsiders. We need to go after the people on the margins of society. We can't get so caught up in our church and everything that we got going on and who we are in Christ that we forget there's a lot of people that don't know Christ, that don't have that relationship, people that feel alone and they feel lost and they just want to belong somewhere. Man, that's what the body of Christ is for. We do what Jesus did. You were once outsiders. Verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross by killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near for the for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All right you have to realize what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about outsiders who are Gentiles and Jews who are insiders. and what Paul says is he, he Jesus, has taken the two that were completely opposite of each other and he brings them together to make one new man. Jesus takes the outsiders and the insiders and he brings the gospel to both of them and he creates a new creation. This is who we are now. We are one new man. And listen, there could not be a more important verse that speaks to our current cultural moment than this right here, taking two sides that are opposite of the, each other, two sides that disagree with each other on a lot of things, two sides that have pointed fingers at one another, and bringing them together. I want to talk for a moment about the racial divide in our country and how we feel these things in our own country. And you know, one of the leading voices for me in the kingdom of God, his name is Dr. Tony Evans. He's just a wonderful preacher great uh, African-American pastor who I look up to and listen to. And he's wonderful. He has a message that I would say every single one of you would go and listen to. It's called Kingdom Race Theology. Kingdom Race Theology. It's two parts, but it's really, really good. And I wish all of you would go and listen to that because he's burdened right now and I'm burdened. He's talking. We hear so much about this thing called CRT or critical race theory. And You've heard that on news State. You've heard it. You know, it's been a buzzword around lately, critical race theory. And so many people are talking. And honestly, sometimes we say things and we don't even know what the heck we're talking about. We should just do our research and study. But he breaks down in a kingdom way. He, he, he provides us a lens on how to view this thing called critical race theory. But he's burdened because Dr. Evans says, Christians across racial lines are so divided right now and he said, my phone is blowing up from people all over the country. He said, people are asking me what to do. He said, pastors are calling me and their congregation is divided. He said, parents are calling him and say, you know, we have black kids and white kids that used to play together and they don't think about their differences. And, and now all they can do is think about their differences. And they have this voice saying something from over there and this voice saying something from over here. And it's interfering with our relationships and this this. Whatever this is, it's infiltrated our society in so many areas and where do we go from here? Dr. Tony, he points to Ephesians chapter two in his message and he says, this is where we go. We go to kingdom race theology because you see Jews and Gentiles, it was like black and white, two different histories, two different sides of the track. But Jesus, something greater than their history, something greater than what happened in the past, binds the two together. And so Dr. Tony has this thing he came up with called kingdom race theology. It's where the rec- he calls it the reconciled recognition, affirmation and celebration of the divinely created ethnic differences through which God displays his multifaceted glory as his people justly righteously and responsibly function corporately and individually in unity under the leadership of Christ. He said, I know you've heard of CRT, but I'm telling you today about KRT. And here's the thing. If we spend all of our time arguing about CRT, then we do living our lives under what the reality of who we are in Christ, then we have been tricked by the world. It's okay to study things. We need to understand CRT. We need to understand all that and have a knowledge of that. But what we really need to do is start live in by kingdom race theology, where there is something greater than white or black and it's, it's Jesus and he binds us all together. And he says, while the world is fighting out there, the church should have peace in here because we know that Jesus is gonna bring every tribe, every tongue, every nation together. They all have their unique differences, but they come under one name. They are one new man. Who we are is the one new race under Jesus in the kingdom of God. That is who we are. We were outsiders, but now Jesus has brought two different people together and made them one new man. But who are we becoming? Verse 19, it says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. We were once outsiders. God brings outsiders to the insiders and he makes one new man. But this is what we are becoming. We're becoming the dwelling place Of God. You know, the house that my wife and I just bought, it might be old and it might need the wallpaper changed, but the bones are good. It's a good house. I want to tell you something today. There's a lot of people talking about church, saying bad things about church. It's old, it's outdated. We need to move on from that gathering together and doing all that. I mean, but let me tell you though, it might be old. There might be some things that need to change. Maybe we need to take a wall out here or there, but I'm telling you the bones of the church are good. And here is what Jesus and Paul say about the church. This is why it's important. Number one, because what we are becoming is the very temple of God. The Greek word used here for temple is the word naos. In our English translation, we sometimes miss this because there's two words for temple. One is earon, which refers to the whole temple, but the word naos is a special part of the temple. It's the sacred part of the temple. It's the holy of holies. It's the inner court. It's the place where only certain people can go. It was very sacred. It was where God's very presence dwelt. It was the sanctuary of God. So you better be careful before you start talking about the sanctuary of God, you better be careful how you treat the church. Yes, I know it has a lot of faults. We have a lot of things we need to publicly repent for and ask God to forgive us and we need to change. But I'm telling you, be careful how you treat the church because there's only one thing that God says is his holy temple where he dwells. And that is his people, his corporate body, the church. And I don't know about you, but if you come up in my home and you're attacking my home, you're going to be met with some force. So you better be careful what you say and how you attack God's home. Be careful what you say and do when it concerns the church because the church is holy ground. When two or three of us gather together, God is with us. And the main word in all of this is together. That's the key word. We're growing, we're being joined together, we're being built together. You see, your relationship with God is personal, but it is not private. You need people in your life. I need people in my life. I need the body of Christ. We cannot be fragmented and apart from one another. It's the corporate body of Christ that constitutes his dwelling place. And man, I can't tell you, we need each other more than ever right now. We used to be outsiders, we used to be far, but now we're near. God's brought two things and made them into one. And what's he doing with us? He's making us into the very dwelling place, the very temple of God, the very place where the very presence of God dwells. And it dwells when we come together, when we worship, when we're with one another. I wanna challenge you today. Think about what you once were. Think about what you are now and think about what God is. Is turning you into and what he's doing with us as a church. Find some people, gather with some people, even you know, if it's just two or three. That's why we have C groups. You know, we just we're in this semester where we're launching C groups, and maybe you are not comfortable in a large crowd, and I, I understand that right now. You need to be careful, you need to be safe. But you can meet with a smaller crowd, just two or three, Jesus said. If two or three gather, I'm there with you also. I challenge you, join a C group or find, it doesn't have to be one that our church puts on, just find some believers, man, that you can get together with. Somebody that when stuff goes wrong in your life, you have a group that you can run to and help you and strengthen you, because this is how we grow. We're growing up to be the body of Christ. Father, I pray for your people today. God, I pray, Lord, that they would realize who they once were is not who they are now. And what they are now, is nothing compared to what they're becoming in you. I thank you that you are bringing us on a journey in our own personal lives, but also corporately. You are building us into the house of God. I pray that we would be a place where your presence dwells, that we're together in this. Lord, as we're walking through this hard season, that we're all together in this. And Lord, I pray that you would help us and strengthen those at home watching and listening today. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Thank you for tuning in today and uh, we'll see you next week right here, 10 o'clock or 9 and 11.